You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. Is Bigfoot real? How big are his feet? Let's find out, because people continue to cite this strange creature. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails. You can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails. Today, I'm back with some allegedly true scary stories featuring Bigfoot encounters, very creepy deer that probably aren't normal, and more. Enjoy, and be sure to send me your scary stories at darkstories.org. However, we have opened up paid submissions again for one topic at this time. That topic is forest rangers. If you are a forest ranger, or you know a forest ranger, with a terrifying story of the unexplained, Send it to us at eeriecast.com paid. Stories approved for narration will be paid three cents per word. Thank you. And remember, go to eeriecast.com for tons of other scary podcasts. Now, let's begin. Something on the Road From It's Scary Every Time I will admit, I was completely sleep-deprived when this happened, and I've chalked it up as some brief yet terrifying hallucination. Then again, is it possible that our minds can get so focused on the day-to-day -day that we often don't see what's really there? I was working third shift at a distribution center for the better part of a year. I never had little more than a couple of close calls with some deer. Well, it was the last work day of the week. I was so fried. It was four in the morning and pitch black. The 45-minute drive typically always goes without an issue. But that night was very different. Like I mentioned, I was sleep-deprived. After all, my neighbors enjoyed loud music and jam sessions throughout the week. 
I was pretty out of it at the time. I was driving through a very, very small town. I mean like one traffic light that's always flashing yellow, blink and you miss it type of town. That's where I saw something. As I approached said flashing light, I saw something planted in the middle of the four-way this light governed over. It was, for lack of a better description, a humanoid. Impossibly pale-skinned, nearly see-through, with long, wet, bright red hair that clung to it all the way to the middle of its back. It was completely nude and crouched right in the middle of the road as if coveting something precious. I slowed down my car, but not enough to avoid hitting this entity. Right before I made contact with it, it looked up from whatever it was holding onto and noticed me. Ugh, still gives me freaking chills. There were voids, pitch black nothingness where its eyes and mouth should have been. The face completely lacked eyebrows, as if those voids devoured them for some reason. The darkness that was its mouth was shaped very leech-like, ready to suck a soul straight out of anything if it wanted to. Right when I should have hit whatever was on that road, it was gone. No rush of movement, no bright flash of light, no scream, no thump on the car, which I had fully expected. Nothing but silence. My heart wanted to burst out of my chest. I saw something that I could not explain so vividly, and I still can't properly work it out. I checked every mirror in my car to see if anything was there, not a trace not even any other cars to explain some light beams crossing nonsense to help me explain it away. I raced home faster than usual, and I did not sleep at all that day. I've been tempted to paint it, not that I'm any artist, but I'm honestly scared to. What if my tired mind saw beyond something I never did before, or half again? What if seeing it again makes that happen more regularly? I'll wrestle with that later. Anyway, there it is. Just glad I could get it all down to be honest, even if it's not believed by some. What the heck was that thing? From Pleasant Peasant The first thing I'd like to say is I don't know what I saw that night. It was late, I was tired, and it was dark. But what I do know is that whatever I saw was not normal. I live in the suburbs of San Antonio, Texas. My sister and I were driving along the road one night. It was about 11 p.m. My sister, Laura, and I were hungry, so we decided to drive to Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. It was a Friday night, and they were open until 1 a.m. Our parents were out of town that weekend, so the two of us were free to do whatever we wanted. That included watching scary movies, eating junk food, and staying up real late. Laura was 18 at the time and I was 15. We had helicopter parents, and they didn't like us to watch R-rated movies or stay out super late. Nevertheless, we decided to watch The Taking of Deborah Logan, an R-rated horror film. We were pretty creeped out after it, and Laura didn't want to go outside, but I had talked her into it by offering to buy her some food. She reluctantly agreed, but how I wish I had trusted her gut. We go to an exclusive private school where we have to take backroads to get to. These backroads are very windy and forested, with few houses spread apart, 
After about 10 minutes of driving, we turned into about the fourth turn, where it was the darkest. We weren't really listening to the radio. We didn't like it, and there was a blip in the conversation. Our headlights illuminated a small herd of deer in the tall grass. At first, we thought nothing of it. There were a lot of deer near us, and it was pretty common to see some deer after dark. However, as I looked a little closer, I saw something strange. I told Laura to slow down so I could get a better look, and what I saw scared the living daylights out of me. One of the deer appeared to have its skin falling off, and the skin that was still on had black bubbles on it. Its legs also looked broken, like it had two knees on every leg. I looked at Laura, who had stopped the car, and her eyes glazed over, her mouth wide open. When I looked back at this deer, it had cocked its head to one side, then started to slowly smile at me. It was very unnatural. Have you ever seen a dog look at you like it's smiling? It looked nothing, and I mean nothing like that. There are no words to describe it. I just knew it wasn't normal. My body was frozen at this point, and I didn't dare to turn away from it and look at Laura. After about 20 seconds of it just smiling at us, it began to slowly walk towards our car. 30 feet. 20 feet. 15 feet. 10. Suddenly, something roared to life in me, and I screamed at Laura to floor it. There was no response. I turned, and I slapped her in the face. I know it's wrong to hit people like that, but I was trying to keep us from dying, or whatever that thing was about to do to us. Finally, she woke from her trance and put the pedal to the metal. We shot out of there as fast as we could, and I didn't look back. When we pulled into the Kane's parking lot, the two of us just sat there. Our appetites had disappeared. We must have sat there for a good five minutes before finally speaking. What the heck was that? I said. She never responded. We just drove home. We avoided the forested path by taking the highway instead, which would take us about 15 minutes longer to get back. But I didn't complain. Since then, we've never driven on that road at night, and Laura and I have never talked about whatever that thing was. This has been my first and hopefully last encounter with the paranormal. I know now that there are things in this world that we do not understand, and many of these missing person cases may not be normal takings, but instead creatures of the darkness which feed on humans. If we had not gotten out of there at the exact second, I would not be telling you about this story. You can choose to believe me or not, but that doesn't change what happened. To this day, I wonder if it was a not-deer or a skinwalker. Whatever and wherever you are, dear, let's never meet again. Lured into the Woods From Jake07 When I was in high school, by the nature of my hometown, the parties I would go to were just bonfires, with way too many kids to fit all of us, sitting around one small fire pit. So naturally, being teenagers, the focus would always quickly shift away from the fire itself to God knows what other stupid teenager stuff. Often, back in grade school, that meant breaking into someone's parents' alcohol stash, ding-dong ditching, 
TPing some poor neighbor's house with an obscene amount of toilet paper, or just wandering the neighborhood up to no good, like some sort of old-timey British street gang, or sometimes all of the above. And often, once we got really bored, the focus would inevitably return to the bonfire, where we'd toss random things into the flames just to see what would happen, or place coins in the smoldering embers until the metal turned red hot, or try to enhance the fire by tossing a cup of gasoline onto it, but overshoot and accidentally set the lawn on fire, a story for another time. There was one occasion my friends and I were invited over to a small party at this girl's house. Let's call her S. And of course, we obliged. The ironic thing about this particular bonfire is that it was extraordinarily tame. Most of our time there was spent with all of us just sitting around the fire and joking about. Most, if not all of the people there were part of a group, with which my friends and I had gone to see a new horror film the night before. So all night at the bonfire, a lot of us were on edge. Us boys being boys, we would point out every little noise we heard coming from the woods and ham it all up, saying we heard voices or twigs breaking, or we saw shadows moving amongst the trees, just to scare the girls. They ended up moving their chairs so that their backs no longer faced the forest. However, there were a few times later on in the night when I wasn't making it up, and I actually did start to hear or see something weird in the woods like a creepy voice and shadows disappearing behind tree trunks. I didn't think much of it though. I mostly just dismissed it as paranoia from having seen that movie the previous night. So I just played it off, carrying on with the joking and theatrics. Later on, the whole group got up and we were wandering around the neighborhood for some reason I can't remember. This time it was a specific reason, not just teenage mischief, once we were done with whatever it was we were doing, we headed back to the fire pit. As soon as we sat back down, however, my friend A realized he had lost his phone somewhere and figured he must have dropped it in the grass somewhere while we were out walking around. So some of us stood back up and we went to scour the neighborhood for A's phone. Eventually, we did find the phone after maybe a half hour of searching, but almost at the same time, we noticed that one of our group was missing. My other friend B, who had been with the search party, was nowhere to be found. So we continued to search, only now it was for our missing friend instead of some phone. But we couldn't find him. We searched the entire neighborhood, yelling his name, texting and calling him, but all to no avail. We eventually made our way back to the bonfire to regroup with the rest of our friends, enlisting them for help. When we got back to S's house, however, there he was, our missing friend B, just sitting there in a lawn chair with a sour look on his face. What the heck, A? B demanded. Where'd you go? Confused, A snapped back at him. What do you mean? You're the one who disappeared. We've been looking everywhere for you. As best I can recall, this is what B told us. He had split away from the group to cover more ground looking for A's phone. That's when he heard someone whisper, Psst, from over by the edge of the woods. When B turned to look, he saw A motioning for B to follow him into the woods with a smirk on his face and a finger pressed to his lips. Now A and B often like to play a lot of jump scare pranks on us, so this wouldn't have seemed to be overly strange or creepy and B did in fact follow him into the woods. 
This is the part where my memory of the story gets a bit hazy. In a nutshell, B lost track of A while sneaking through the woods, and so he waited, quietly looking around for a bit before one of the girls either caught a glimpse of him or heard him walking in the shadows and freaked out. B gave up, emerging from the woods to calm our friend down and ask if anyone had seen A, eventually taking a seat by the fire pit to wait for us to return. The thing is, A had been with the rest of us the whole time, searching for his phone, and I myself can attest to that. Everyone else had been accounted for, either as part of the search party or sitting by the fire the whole time. But B swore up and down that he'd followed A into the trees, or at least someone who looked exactly like A and happened to be wearing the exact same clothing. The moon was fairly bright that night, and B said he had gotten close enough and had just enough light that he could clearly tell it was A, hunched over just outside the tree line, beckoning for him to follow. This really freaked us all out, and we spent the rest of that night inside S's basement. Someone even mentioned the idea of calling the police to tell them that there was a strange man trying to lure kids into the woods. But B was so adamant that who he'd seen was either A or some sort of creepy carbon copy of A, we believed him, and we figured it wasn't any use calling the cops if this thing was supernatural in origin. We never got any answers as to who or what it was that B followed into the woods that night, or what their intentions were. We could never figure out why that person or thing lured him into the dark forest, just to vanish without a sound and let B return to his friends. We've all kind of fallen out of contact over the five years since graduating high school, but whenever I do see my friends, that night always comes up in conversation, along with many other strange experiences we've had, both together and individually. Man, do I miss those days. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, People are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. 
Demonic Rental from Little Lothcat. This takes place over the course of the past two-ish years or so. I only lived in the rental for about half the school year, but I've been around the house since my sophomore year. My apologies for how long this might be, but there is a lot of buildup to my experience. So my former best friend, WG, had moved into a tiny little rental house with three other friends of ours, two of them I knew at the time, and one of them I had never met before until that year. Things were going well, but of course, in a house full of girls, things were bound to take a nasty turn at some point. Long story short, things just went a little strange, with three of the four women acting like complete children and bullying the other girl. I know now that they were the culprits, but at the time, I thought the three of them, my best friend being one of the bullies, were right. I go to a very Christian college. Because of that, more than half of the student population are Christians. That includes myself and those girls I mentioned. The three girls, WG, AJT, and VA, had noticed something was off about this house. One night, while E, the girl they weren't very kind to, was out, they went around dedicating the house to God. This meant anointing all the doorways of the house and praying over each room. WG and VA are very heavily religious, so it was up to them to do the dirty work. All of it was fine until they reached E's room, which would later become mine. What I find interesting is that, in their retellings, WG and VA had two different experiences upon entering the room. According to VA, WG had been speaking in tongues, and upon crossing the threshold, had tensed up and let out a loud hiss. She turned to VA, saying, Do you feel that? VA, feeling powerful and safe, responded with an enthusiastic, Yeah. WG, on the other hand, felt a very dark and dangerous presence in that room. She flicked on the lights, and in the brief second before dark gave way to light, both women saw a large black mass in the far corner with multiple red eyes, like it was a giant jumble of entities in one cloud. WG somehow managed to get them out of the house after a long time of yelling, praying, and saging the room. But according to WG, AJT, and VA, the demons had tried to return a few days later. Only, WG could see them, prowling around the house trying to find a way in. The girls had gone around to write Bible verses on the windows to try and bar them from entering, but WG made the mistake of giving them names. A month later, E moved out of the house, and my story begins here. I moved in at the start of the school year. Things were exciting. I was in a house, living with my best friend, and things were going great. Everyone was excited to start fresh and new. It wasn't until late fall, early winter that I'd begun to realize I was being treated just as bad as E was by the rest of them. I began hiding away in my room, terrified of leaving just for the sake of getting food for fear of being yelled at for something I didn't do, or receiving the silent treatment. I began memorizing their schedules, and leaving to eat and do laundry when I knew they wouldn't be around. That's when I began to see it. The first time I saw it, I was in the kitchen, the layout of the house was simple. It was a perfect box with rooms in either corner, a bathroom between the rooms on either side, and then a kitchen living room in the middle. That day, the door to the laundry room was closed, so I had a completely unobstructed view of both halls. While I was making my lunch, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a tall, humanoid shape walk from my side of the house 
over to the other hall. I had snapped my head around, expecting to see the heel of VA turning the corner, but based off the knowledge of their schedules, I was supposed to be the only one in the house for the next four hours. I checked the driveway. Her car was still gone. I knocked on her door too, but no answer. I brushed it off as maybe seeing my hair out of the corner of my eye, or just the general anxiety I felt while living in that house. But more and more things began cropping up. I began to have more frequent nightmares. My room would get ice cold, far colder than any other room in the house. My closet light would flicker on and off when I was trying to sleep. I'd heard men's voices outside my room when the TV wasn't on, and no one was on the porch. And that shadowy being, whatever it was, began getting bolder. The more afraid I got in that house, the more scared I became of those girls. The more I saw it, I would catch it dead on when leaving my room. It liked to watch me while I cooked, or stand in the hallway while I did my laundry. Eventually, it migrated into my room, hovering in the same corner the girls said the first demons were in. I could not always see it, but if I stood a certain way or got scared, it would be there. What's strange is that I never felt like I was in danger around that thing. In truth, those girls had me more frightened than it. I didn't feel safe around it, certainly, but I didn't feel like I was being attacked. It was just there. But I did grow tired of it being in my room. So, one day, I plucked up my courage and finally spoke to it directly. I don't know what you are. I don't want to know. But I need you to hear this, here and now. This is my space, and my space alone. You have no permission to invade or affect my living situation in this area. You have not caused me active harm, and I have tolerated you. But I request that if you must be in the house, you leave my room be. It's the only safe space I have left. Perhaps foolish, I probably should have told it to get out of the house entirely. But by this point, I was tired of being scared and half hoped it would bother the other girls for treating me so poorly. I could not do anything to get back at them without retaliation being brutal. In my petty, cowardly little mind, I thought it would be nice if an entity would do it for me. Because to me, it seemed God certainly wasn't doing anything to fix my situation, no matter how much I prayed. The moment I finished talking, I heard what sounded like a dog scrabbling for purchase on carpet like nails or claws hurriedly raking along cloth. I physically felt something rush by me, then flee out of my room. The thing was still there, but it never entered my room again. A few weeks later, we had gotten together for our weekly D&D sessions, when VA walked out of her room carrying an ornate little box. She looked very proud and eager to show everyone what was inside. Out she pulls a very long knife with a wavy blade, sort of like one you would see as a sacrificial knife in movies. It's supposedly haunted, she told us. My family got it in Indonesia. I was floored. No wonder they had demons in the house. I'm not sure that thing was used for sacrifices per se, but if you had a supposedly haunted knife, you'd think that maybe there's some form of connection to your experiences at this house. After our game ended, I tried to ask VA if she knew what it was haunted with. She gave me the most venomous glare I had yet received from her. Heck if I know, she responded. 
Thankfully, a month after everything had gone on, I managed to get out of the lease and out of that blasted house. My mom came to help me move out of there and into a dorm. As we left, I asked her if she'd felt anything wrong in that place, curious to see if I'd simply been crazy. She gave me a startled look, then nodded. She had, in fact, sensed something on the left side of the house and said that just as we were leaving, she saw some sort of shadowy figure leave my room. I've since become good friends with E in the wake of all this. The other girls I'm no longer in contact with and will never speak to again. While retelling our stories of living in the house, she made an offhand comment about seeing a figure in our room as well. I pressed her for more. Did you ever feel afraid of it? I asked. She shook her head. No, I felt safer with it than with them, but it wasn't good. I'm going to guess it was a demon. I can't think of anything else that it could have been. I do believe in the paranormal, but I'm skeptical about ghosts. Demons, though, they absolutely exist. I'm willing to believe in cryptids and other things we can't explain as well, but I'm not sure where I stand on ghosts, and I sincerely doubt this thing was anything but demonic. Or perhaps it could have been another entity entirely. Whatever it was, I think it was a warning to us both and I can only hope it will serve that same purpose for the next unfortunate roommate that comes in to take my place. I hope she can get out sooner and safer than I did. It was in the attic. From Ninabug, 1998. I was in the third grade. I'm 24 now. My mother, stepfather, and I moved into a big old brick house. It was one of the oldest in town, but it looked normal, not in a creepy area. It had a huge yard and was two levels. The upstairs was three rooms, my bedroom, my toy room, and a big open area. The big open area had the entrance to the attic. It was just a board you lifted and moved to the side. Keep that in mind. The first floor was the kitchen, dining room, living room, bathroom, and my parents' room, and a little closet. The creepiest place to me was not the basement, as you would expect, which had dirt floors and crap like that. No, it was the beautiful upstairs that scared me. I always felt as if I was being watched. I never felt alone up there. One night, about two months after we moved in, I heard a strange sound from the open area. We had two cats, so I thought it was one of them. I opened my bedroom door and peeked out. One of our cats, Riley, even though we called her Mama's, because she was an old cat, was sitting at the top of these stairs, refusing to come any closer. She was looking up at the ceiling, or more accurately, the attic. I don't know why, but I followed her gaze. That might be what saved my life that night. The board over the entrance was moving. I watched a hand with long claw-like fingers come out, then another, then a head. If you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, then you'll know what I mean when I say it looked like that guy that's always like my precious with the ring, but it was more bony than that. It turned its head and looked at me with dark eyes. I don't know if there were no eyes or if they were just really dark, to be honest. I quickly closed my bedroom door and I pulled my dresser in front of it. Keep in mind I was in third grade. I was so scared that I managed to move a big oak dresser in front of the door 
I then heard knocking and my mother's voice telling me to open the door up, but I still didn't. There was no way she'd be checking on me at three or four in the morning. She never checked on me like that, so I didn't open the door. I sat with my back against the dresser, and I kept hearing her, but the longer I refused to open the door, the angrier she got, and the less it sounded like her. I began to hear scratching at the door. I still refused to open it. I was horrified, but somehow managed to fall asleep. When I woke up, it was daytime, and my mother was pounding on the door, yelling at me for missing the school bus and scratching up the door. It took me a bit, but I was able to move my dresser enough to open my door and peek out. My mother was glaring at me and yelling at me for ruining the door, as we were only renting the house. Do you have any idea how much that's going to cost? That's what she was worried about, the freaking door. I looked at it and saw deep scratches all over it. I told her I didn't do that and tried to explain what happened last night, but she still yelled and refused to even try to believe me. After that incident, I refused to go back upstairs. After a week of sleeping on the couch, I convinced them to move my bedroom into the little closet. It barely fit my bed, dresser, and nightstand. I would have to push my bed to open my dresser enough to get to the bottom two drawers. As I said before, I never went back upstairs, not even for my toys. For nearly a whole year after, I simply left them up there, untouched. I never saw that thing again after that night. Eventually, we moved out of that house and I refused to be alone when I packed my things upstairs. I invited my friend over a lot to help me pack too. I just felt better with someone up there with me. Of course, I never found out what it was or what it wanted. In the end, I didn't care if I ever did find out. I just didn't want to see it ever again. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Warning, the following story contains depictions of badly injured animals. Can Bigfoot get chronic wasting disease? From Ghost Mooner. I used to be a game warden for a certain state that I don't want to name here. I've seen a lot of weird stuff in my eight years there before I got injured in a gunfight with a drunk poacher. One of the stranger things I've ever seen while I was employed was something I saw walking past my vicinity one early autumn afternoon. Dispatch got a call about a person shooting at some deer right outside of someone's home from the street, and that the person shooting was shooting from inside a blue truck parked on the shoulder of the road, 
which is very illegal. So I headed over to the location and met up with another game warden. We start investigating the site. The shooting happened right on the shoulder next to a large house with a rather large lawn on the side of it that merged right into a thick woodland area. My coworker and I found a 30-06 brass shell casing in the dirt on the shoulder, and it was still warm, confirming the call. While my partner interviewed the eyewitness who heard the shot and peeked out the window in time to see the blue truck drive off, I searched the area for any possible bullet impacts or even blood drops from a wounded animal. I eventually made my way to the tree line, where I happened to luck out and find a fresh impact spot on a tree. I took stills of it with my phone. Then I noticed there was a bit of blood on the ground off to the side. I followed it into the woods. The land flowed up onto a steep but short ridge covered in trees, and beyond was some type of narrow gully that looks like it floods during heavy rains. I stopped on top of this ridgeline and looked around. Having lost the sparse blood trail, I scanned my surroundings slowly. That was about the time I started hearing something moving through the forest. It was coming from up the gully on my right, but out of sight because of all the trees. I thought it was the wounded deer, and I was about to step forward to get sight of it, but then I began smelling something awful. It was a faint smell of rotting meat, and other smells that I won't mention, because if you've been around dead bodies before, you'll understand that it's not just the decomp of the flesh that stinks, but what they eat or drink that also blends with it. What's worse is that it was getting stronger, and so was the noise. It sounded like something casually passing through thick bushes and dragging their feet across the ground. Whatever it was, it was not trying to be sneaky. I was just about to call out, Game Warden, to see if it was a person, but then I caught sight of something in the narrow spaces of the tree trunks. A flash of something dark brown, or mottled dark and brown, I don't know. But for some reason, it made me freeze in place. It slowly seemed to meander closer, following the natural openness of the bushy gully. The smell was much stronger now, and I had to breathe more through my mouth, and I could make a little more detail through the trees now. I saw flashes of hair or fur, but it was complex, and the moments I could see it between the trees were too short to absorb or process much detail. Eventually, it was at my two o'clock, and the trees were less dense now. As it visually passed in between them, I could make out more and more of what this thing was. It was large, very large. I want to say eight feet tall and very wide in the shoulders. It was covered from head to toe in dark brown hair, but there was more to its appearance. The face looked like a caveman if he didn't shave, and it had black leathery skin. One eye was missing while the other was very foggy white. The mouth was agape, and it looked like it was missing some of its lower lip. The torso was patchy with large, deep gashes with gray muscle tissue inside. But the worst part was that its abdomen was mostly missing, and what intestines remained were dangling off its right hip. Its left thigh had a huge part missing on the outside, and its right foot was just gone. It was stepping on its own ankle stump. I was frozen. I don't think I even breathed for the whole time it sort of lazily meandered past in front of me down the gully. 
After a while, I could no longer see it, and the smell was fading. So I carefully turned around, and as quietly as I could, I trekked back to my partner, who was extracting the bullet from the tree I found. He could tell I saw something weird, because of the look on my face. He just nodded and said, Had a jump out in the woods? Which is our local lingo for, You saw something weird out there, huh? I nodded back, and I headed to my patrol truck, downing a whole bottle of water I had in a cooler. To this day, I have no clue where it was going, where it came from, how it got that way. I can only truly hope that it's an extremely rare phenomenon, and we all won't have to worry about it on a bigger scale. There is a type of disease out there that affects deer, elk, and even moose called CWD, or chronic wasting disease. It's very nasty, and I've had to put down deer who had it. But whatever this Bigfoot, Sasquatch, or whatever the heck it was, had, that wasn't it. This creature was very dead. Its flesh and soft tissue was gray-toned. To me, it was more like a zombie Bigfoot. Sasquatch on the Plains From Snellsucker I live in a very rural area on the American Great Plains. It's a small farming town with not much more than expanses of pretty much every crop you could expect that can survive out here in this semi-arid land. It's nuzzled up close to a large valley with fertile soil and a small creek that runs through it. An interstate highway runs three to four miles south of town. That's about the only paved road apart from city streets that are maybe 10 or 15 miles from here. It's a peaceful little place, and if you're not working the fields from dawn till dusk, there's not much else to do. I'm a 16-year-old guy, roughly 6 foot 1, close to 160 pounds, and play as our football team's running back. Having freshly gotten my license and wanting to join the fun of going back and forth in the field for 14 hours a day, I asked a local farmer for a job. It was mid-planting season, so he set me to work rock picking and land rolling. For anyone that doesn't know much about farming, rocks can cause problems to the combine and their headers during harvest. So to deal with these rocks, farmers use a machine called a rock picker and land roller. The rock picker is quite a simple contraption. A wedge-like scooper is hydraulically dropped down to pick up a rock, and a large reel, much like on a combine header, sweeps it into a tank on the rock picker. It doesn't manage to get every rock, leaving the little ones behind. A land roller is just a large, heavy steel drum that is pulled behind a tractor, used to push those rocks back down into the soil, making it out of the way of the combine header. So the farmer gave me the directions to my first field. So I drove the small rock-picking tractor to the field and got to work. This field was right on the edge of the valley, and there I could look out over the lush grazing lands and the freshly planted fertile soil below me. Although not many trees were present around town or abound most of the countryside, the walls of the valley were full of them. Large poplars and cottonwood trees covered the small ponds and sloughs not far from the edge. The trees stretched all along the valley edge as far as you could see. As I was scooping up some rocks on a dried up stream bed, I noticed a doe and a small freshly born fawn run off from across the field. I figured the loud noise of the engine was making them scurry off, but I wondered why the fawn had run. Fawns usually hide in the tall grass and lay down silently, hiding from predators. I thought that was strange, but carried on. 
Rounding the filled edge near where I saw them run off, I saw a large bedding location. I figured it might be from a moose, which we occasionally find in the area. That would explain why the deer ran off, but there were no moose to be seen. I circled around again to pick up another rock that I could have sworn wasn't there before. Then, to my surprise, I saw a rock land next to me. It came from the nearby trees. That freaked me out, so I turned the tractor towards the forest, and I turned on the night beams and flashers, even though it was day. The area under the tree canopy was dark, but I put a few thousand lumens directly where the rock came from. To my horror, I saw a crouched figure only 20 to 30 feet away. It was exactly the description you hear on those cheesy shows on TV, or those fake eyewitness accounts about Bigfoot. But this was so real. I could only see it from its mid-chest up. Its face had dark, grayish-brown hair, but towards the chest, its hair color changed to a more orange or red-brown. Its face was squished in, eyes a seemingly gentle brown hazelnut color. Its mouth was remarkably human, but more ape-like, nose squished in and head pointed. It was so wide and muscular and just huge. It looked at me with its tender eyes, giving me a sense of caring or softness. In its eyes, I could also see power. It was like he knew just how large he was and that he was the top predator, but he was respectful and had no ill intent. I sat there and watched it until finally it got up and swiftly moved through the brush. I finished that field afterwards with no fear, but extremely curious. I left and didn't tell anyone until now, here on Reddit, a mere two days later. Bigfoot in West Virginia from Electrionia I had two stepdaughters living with me at the time. For years, I've been a night owl, staying up until 4 a.m. I would go out at 1, 2, or 3 in the morning to smoke. Behind my house, I had a patio with a tin roof. One night, I was standing there smoking with my back towards the mountain. These mountains went for miles and miles behind the house up a hill. While standing there, someone or something threw a rock at me. I turned around and said aloud, What the heck? I then went inside. Every night or morning at 2.30, my stepdaughter kept telling me she would hear something. I said, What does it sound like? She said, A very loud scream. So these things went on for a while. She ran in one night, saying, Did you hear it? Did you hear it? I replied, No. She had gone on a date that night. It was 2.30 when they pulled in. She said she and her boyfriend heard it. He was a hunter, and he said that he had never heard anything like it before. I went online trying to figure out what we were hearing. I played every animal sound known to man. No, that's not it, she would answer. So I thought, what the heck, I'll play some Bigfoot sounds. Then when I did, she excitedly said, Yes, that's it. Are you sure? I replied. Yeah, that's definitely it. On another night, I went out to smoke. It started sounding like it was raining. I looked to my left and with the light shining from the porch, I saw that it wasn't raining. Then I looked right, still no rain. 
but yet on the tin roof, something was throwing handfuls of rocks and pebbles. I couldn't see up the mountain, it was too dark, and I was frozen with fear then. But I knew for sure that someone or something was throwing pebbles at us. I called out into the dark, If you're trying to scare me, it's not working. I'll be out here tomorrow night with my gun and spotlight, I warned. Then I quickly ran into the house. On another night around 3am, my stepdaughter and I were sitting in the dark on the back porch. All of a sudden, we heard three loud knocks on a tree. It wasn't a small stick hitting a tree. It sounded like someone had picked up a massive log and slammed it against a tree. We threw our cigarettes down and fell over each other trying to get back inside as quick as we could. We had to move because the mines shut down, but I can guarantee Bigfoot still goes through there around 2.30 every morning. Small Bigfoot Disappears From Daniel W. It was 2 a.m. on a very hot morning. I had gone to bed early that night, and I had to get my dogs out. They were two very large males that I have to keep separated. One of them had escaped out of the fence, and I did not look forward to going to get him. Not only had my dogs been barking like crazy that night, but all the dogs in the neighborhood subdivision had been too. This subdivision is surrounded by woods. I went down on the main street that runs through the subdivision. It didn't take long for me to find my dog. By then, I was wondering if the dogs out there were barking at me. All of a sudden, this figure on two legs comes towards me. It stood about four and a half feet tall. Right away, I thought, odd, that another kid would be out at 2 a.m. As it began to walk past me, I got a good look at it. I gasped. It most certainly was not a kid. In fact, it looked like a shorter version of a Bigfoot. I started to tremble. I stood there looking at this thing. Luckily, it didn't pay me any mind. It didn't even look at me as it passed me. Then, as I stared right at it, this thing faded out of existence. I was in denial then, wondering if I had hallucinated the whole thing. But the odd thing was, I was completely sober. I began to wonder if there was a family of Bigfoot in the area. But even so... How in the world did this one just disappear like some ghost? This was definitely the strangest thing I've ever seen. Bigfoot Saved Me from a Wendigo From Frank C. Having the grandkids over was always a fun time for us, as we were now in our early 60s. On one occasion, I overheard a group of them discussing something at the fire pit. As I approached, the eldest of them, Sarah, stood up and said, No, nothing like that is real. I don't believe it. I now stood at their side, and one of them, Mikey, asked me, Tata, or Grandpa, are Wendigos real? Now where did you ever hear about that? I asked. Kids at school were saying that their older brother saw them on YouTube and they're real. Nuh-uh, Sarah exclaimed. Right, Tata? Now, now, there are lots of things we don't know about, guys. Just then, my son John walked up after hearing me. Maybe it's time you told your story, Dad, he said. He then formed the kids into a smaller circle, 
Others gathered and my wife, Marie, stood behind me and put her hands on my shoulders. With wide eyes all around me, I began my story. When I was much younger, your great-grandfather, my uncle Robert, and I went on a hunting trip to northern Arizona. It was early December and the first snow had already fallen. We reached our destination by early afternoon and we set up by 4 p.m. My uncle had a nice trailer he towed with his big four-wheel drive truck. We spent a great evening grilling steaks and laughing at old family stories by the fire. That night, I was awakened by my dad nudging my knee. Time to get up, he said. I smiled and immediately smelled the coffee. I could never drink it black like them. I had to have some flavored creamer. After a good breakfast, we geared up and headed into the forest. The snow didn't reach the floor for the thick tree canopy, but it was cold. We were hunting large elk. I was carrying my Winchester 3030 with six rounds in my rifle and another eight in a sleeve on my stock. I also always carried my Colt 45 semi-automatic on my hip. The plan was for my dad to stay in the opening of a canyon, my uncle was to walk on the ridge on one side, and I was to walk on the other side, hoping we'd spot something or even move it towards dad. I'd walked for an hour or so when I began to smell a wet, dirty dog odor. Thinking it might be a really stinky bear, I unshouldered my rifle. Not sure if I should continue or start to head back, I paused for a moment. Suddenly, there was a loud rustling in the bushes and trees to my left that caused me to jump back. I stumbled and I began to slide down into the ravine. Luckily, it was mostly loose rocks and I slid on my backside trying to hang on to my rifle. After I came to a stop, I checked for injuries or any damaged equipment. Everything looked okay. The small camping radios we had brought had no reception down here, so I began walking towards my dad's last position through the canyon. A small creek flowed nearby, and I was able to follow it. Not wanting to be the clown that scared any elk away because I was frightened by a bear, I refrained from shouting out and continued to hike my way out of there every now and then looking up on the ridge to see that bear, but there was no visual sign of it yet. As the brush grew thicker, I had to almost walk in the water to avoid the branches. I'd walked for nearly 20 minutes when I noticed the forest had gone silent. I then heard my dad calling me from the direction I was coming from. I mean, it sounded like my dad, then again, it didn't seem exactly right. It was like a good impression of his voice, spoken through an electric fan. Frankie, come over here. I need you here, now. I looked hard into the shadowed woods. Come here, now, I said. It sounded angry now, and no longer like my dad at all. He never spoke to me this way. What do you want? I shouted, receiving no response. I thought I could make out movement where the voice was coming from. Dad? I called out. Once again, I was hit with that terrible smell. This one was definitely not like the last one. This smelled like rotting flesh, stagnant water, and urine. I then heard this wheezing growl. I raised my rifle, not knowing what to think. I was pretty darn sure whatever this was, it was not my dad. The sound of branches snapping and brush rustling caused me to take a few steps back. What stepped out of that thicket 
can only be described as a hellish nightmare. This thing stood at least nine feet tall, with the head of a large elk skull, including antlers, but it had only deep, empty holes for eyes. Its mouth could open way wider than it should have been able to, revealing shark-like teeth and two huge yellow fangs on its upper jaw. It was skeletal with patches of rotting flesh and fur. I could partially see right through its ribcage. It had very long arms with long black talon-tipped fingers. It stood on thick, bony elk-looking legs, ending in large, deformed hooves. My god, I thought, could this really be one of those Wendigo things from the legends? I fired right at it from about 30 feet. The bullet hit its chest area. Bits of bone and chunks of flesh blew off, but it seemed to have no effect on it. I fired another two times with the same result. I turned to run, but I could not maneuver over the rocks and ground cover as fast as this creature could. My backpack was suddenly ripped as it took a swipe at me. I ran until it shoved me from behind, sending me sprawling into the bushes. My rifle was at my side, but had proved ineffective. Thinking my family would have heard the shots and are headed my way, I began to yell, Dad! The thing, twelve feet from me, turned its head in the direction of where help should be coming from, then turned back to me. It let out a horrible screech and stepped towards me. I fumbled to get my forty-five out of its holster, and I crawled backwards. Out of nowhere, a huge rock hit the monster from behind, almost knocking it to the ground. It turned from me, raising its head as if to get a sniff of what it might be. I now had my pistol in my hand, and I was thinking about running while the thing was distracted. A second large rock came flying from the trees, which the supposed Wendigo easily stepped aside to avoid. It looked back to me, then back to the trees. As it began stepping backwards towards me, there was a loud sound of branches breaking and a loud growl. I then recognized that familiar first odor I'd encountered, but it sure didn't sound like a bear, and I've never seen bears that could throw rocks like that. I then saw flashes of bright reddish-brown fur coming through the trees. With a cry-like roar, something big ran out and right at that creature. I had to have been dreaming now, I thought. It stood over eight feet tall, and truly looked like a Bigfoot. It grabbed the other creature by its bony shoulders, shoving it against a big tree. The supposed Wendigo began swiping its antlers at the Bigfoot. I jumped up and began firing at the Wendigo, sending several rounds right through its skull head. It looked at me for a moment, then shook its head like a dog with water in its ears. I wondered if I even heard it. Suddenly, the Bigfoot tackled the Wendigo like a linebacker, sending both into the brush. I hesitated. Should I run? Should I stay and try to help? I grew scared at the thought that if the Bigfoot lost, I would be dinner. I ran faster than I think I've ever run in my life, jumping over rocks and bushes. Soon I was at the opening to the canyon. Camp should be just over this hill. I ran into camp as Dad and Uncle Robert just got back too. Was that you shooting out there? They asked. I told them yes, and I explained what I saw. They both glanced at each other, smirking. I showed them my backpack as proof, which looked as if it had been sliced by razor blades. I didn't sleep a wink that night. Early the next morning, against all logic, 
I headed back into the canyon. Instead of my 30-30, I carried my 12-gauge shotgun with heavy ammo. I also took a basket and a backpack, filled with meat, fruits, bread, and even a few sweets. I approached the area quietly, with my guard up. I soon found signs of a struggle. I opened my pack and took the items out, arranging them in the basket. I placed it on a big flat rock right by the stream. I took my New England Patriots ball cap off my head and placed it on the top of everything. I said aloud, Thank you, and placed my hands on my chest, opening my arms wide in some attempt of making a grateful gesture. I gathered my things and headed back down. A good thirty yards away from behind me, I began to hear rustling in the trees. I looked, and I saw a twenty-five-foot tree wiggling back and forth, being shaken by a very strong someone. I just had to see. I had to know. So I turned back up the canyon, and I was quickly back at the rock. But no Bigfoot in sight. However, the basket was empty, except for one of those huge yellow things that had previously been in that Wendigo skull. I've heard that Sasquatch doesn't really like folks wandering into its territory, but I guess they dislike Wendigos even more. I also thought the first time I'd encountered Bigfoot, via its smell, I believe he was trying to warn me about the area. Finishing my story to those kids, I told them, So yes, I do believe that Wendigos exist, and I also know that Bigfoot exists. And someday, someone out there is going to capture footage of that Bigfoot up there, and he might just be wearing a Patriot's hat. With that... We're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family. Follow us on Spotify and or review us on iTunes. Thank you. Until next time, everyone, remember, this world is a strange one, so stay safe out there and stay creepy. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 